0: Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Christina Tucker, a contributing writer for Autostraddle and a rotating fourth chair on NPR's pop culture happy hour. Christina, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me, bud. I'm really thrilled to be doing this.
0: I'm really thrilled that you're here. And I just want our listeners to know that one of your latest texts to me is, I think, very representative of your approach to the world which is just that mm-hmm. you were complaining that your latest dream uh, was one where you were either married to or being tortured by Marsha Gay Harden and you felt like at this point your your dreams needed to go a little more off brand.
2: Yeah, I just feel like if you saw that in a movie someone would be like, "Okay, that's a little hacky, a little on the nose. Like, can I have some something to puzzle out with my subconscious here?" No. Yeah.
0: Fine. Yeah, just oh, oh, a uh, a uh, a fraught sexual relationship with an icy MILF actress, that's Christina. Wow. Here we are. I just want you to know that I finally have been watching The Good Wife, and I now am like, it's not like I didn't love Christine Baransky before, but now, like, I would say a lot of my inner spiritual life is organized around Christine Baranski. Correct. A perfect woman. A perfect person. A no perfect notes. person. No notes. No notes. Yeah, no when notes. it comes to Christine Baranski, Christina has no notes. I have no notes. I have some notes, however, for some of our letters today. Do you like that segue? That
2: was good. That That was just on the fly.
0: All of which are incredible. I can't wait to get to number four, which has everything. Has everything. Hold your hats. Hang on to your Disney World themed hats because you're going to need them. A teaser. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you please be so good as to read our very first letter?
2: I would. Avoidance etiquette. Dear prudence. A woman I know is in a difficult situation. She's unhappy in her marriage, she has two adult children with disabilities for whom she is a primary caregiver, and she has health issues of her own. She has decided, while sheltering in place, to begin divorce proceedings. I understand a lot of couples are discovering their incompatibility, and I don't doubt that she's unhappy, but she's also asking that all of her friends donate money so she can hire an expensive lawyer. There were a single fundraising page I wouldn't mind so much and could opt out easily. But instead, she's sending out emails to all of her friends full of anecdotes about her sons, how much care they need, and how important it is that they get away safely, which is in quotes. I've known this woman for years, and she has never, to my knowledge, been physically abused, given the personal nature of... Much of what she shared with me about her marriage over the years, I'm confident she would have shared if she had. I understand that being stuck in a house with a man that you don't like and high-risk children is an awful situation, but asking for money during a time when most people we know are struggling themselves seems wrong to me. It is not my place to tell her to stop asking others. I just like her to stop emailing me. How do I say, please take me off your mailing list, I'm not giving you money,
0: without sounding like a heartless jerk? I've read this one a couple of times, and... Same. I, I feel like... I don't know that I, that I agree that like Getaway Safely necessarily refers to physical abuse. Like she's the caretaker of two adult kids who it sounds like need her close to around the clock. Um, mm-hmm. She has health issues of her own. She, she needs money. I, I would imagine at least some version of Getaway Safely has to do with I need to be able to move out and afford to keep a roof over our heads so that we don't end up homeless. Right? Yeah, that's how I read "Getaway Safely. I read it like as we need
2: to get away and be in a position to care for these children and myself.
0: Right. So I, I'm not sure that I agree with the letter writer that this person is exaggerating or misrepresenting the conditions of her emotional or personal life in order to extract money from people.
2: Yeah, that's not, yeah, that, that's absolutely not what I read from this, from this situation. And it's strange to me that like that takes up so much of the, you know, the letter writer's question. But then the actual, you know, thing that they want solved is like, how do I get off this mailing list, which is like, just set up a filter in your email. So that goes to spam or something like that's not challenging.
0: (laughs) Right. You know, if you're that concerned about having this conversation with her, don't just set up a filter so that all of her emails go straight to spam. That's it. That's all you have to do. It doesn't sound like I mean, I I don't know. It, 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 I I think there's room here for the letter writer to be more open-minded and compassionate here.
2: Oh, yes. I absolutely agree.
0: Right, like there's that kind of like throwaway line about like I get that being married to someone that you don't like and uh, you know, taking care of high-risk children who uh, there's no there's no information about how involved he is in the caretaking of these kids. It sounds like not very much right it, yeah it doesn't yeah the primary caregiver part sounds like she's
2: primary caregiver for
0: these two adult children and and he it doesn't sound like he's helping a lot plus she has health issues on top of that so like i, I think you can give her a little bit more than just like sure 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 it's bad but other people are actually struggling like i think she's struggling i, th- I think she qualifies
2: i definitely think she qualifies and that like you know so she can hire an expensive lawyer is kind of like a weird like passive aggressive, like oh, she wants like a fancy schmancy lawyer. It's like, well, yeah, she probably wants to be protected as she can with her two adult children that she's caring for.
0: Right, and it's not like it's not like she's been accused of a crime and can ask the court to appoint her a lawyer. You know what I mean? Like, you have to pay for lawyers for a divorce. You don't just get one for free.
2: Yeah, they're all quite expensive.
0: Yeah, so I just I really disagree that it's wrong of her to be asking for money right now. You don't have to give her money, but. Neither do I think you need to worry that it's wrong of her to ask when other people are struggling. If other people can't give her money, trust that they will, like you, not give her money.
2: Correct. Yeah, I think you can set up a filter in your emails So her emails go to some other folder, spam directly to the trash, whatever you prefer, And you don't
0: have to have a conversation with her about it.
2: You can let her continue to try to fundraise the money she needs to
0: keep her children and herself safe. Yeah, this strikes me as a real, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all situation. I I don't imagine you two are going to continue to be especially close. I wish that you would think about ways to be more compassionate towards this woman you've apparently known for years and who has been in a difficult situation and needs help. But if you can't muster up the compassion, if you just genuinely don't care about her problem, fine. Just set up the filter, don't talk to her about it. Continue to grow apart, focus your energies elsewhere. That's the best thing that you can do in this situation, I guess. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. And, you know, reconsider the heartless jerkiness here. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that because I think you must be a jerk all the time, but I I do think you're being a little heartless here. And if there's a part of you that wants to reconsider, and maybe you don't want to give her money, but maybe you do want to just say, I love you and I'm so sorry. Is there something else I can do to help? consider that as an option.
2: Yes, I would agree. There's some space for grace there.
0: So we'll move on to a nice straightforward one, which is great. Mm -hmm. And I would just like our readers to know that I'm in like day 10 of like that gross little Templeton rat beard stage where you're like, am I growing a beard or aren't I? What am I doing here? I look like a mess. And I just want you all to know that while I read this. Subject, conflicted over clean shaving. Dear Prudence, I've been with my husband for 10 years. Keeping the flame of passion alive is hard under normal circumstances, but we try our best, and I do love the way he looks. Now, though, we're both stuck at home, not seeing anyone else, and he's started growing a beard. It's really turning me off. I don't like kissing him with the beard brushing up against my face, and I don't like the way it makes him look like an old man. It's all white. However, I have always thought it was wrong for one person to try to influence another person's look. One of my ex-boyfriends complained that I didn't wear high heels or, quote, dress sexy. I found that offensive, and I'm very glad that my husband doesn't say things like that. I find myself in a bind, however, because the thought of making out with my husband while he has this giant prickly beard is such a turnoff. Is it wrong for me to tell him that? I love this question. I do, too. I thought this was very sweet. I, I, I think a couple of things. I don't agree that it's wrong for one person to ever try to influence someone else's look. Like, that can range anything from I like the red coat better than the yellow to, like, you know, wear high-heeled shoes every day even if it hurts for me, right? Like, there's a lot of in-between space where you can yeah, be... Yeah, those are wildly different scenarios. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think that the goal needs to be never express an opinion, never express a preference, never have any thoughts about somebody else's appearance. Obviously rules of like politeness, respect, and minding your own business apply. But, you know, it's not just like pretend you don't notice other people have an appearance.
2: Especially one that you are married to and are trying to keep that flame of passion alive.
0: Yeah. And like to me, the thing that feels really obvious here is it affects the way it feels when you kiss him. It prickles, it brushes up against your face, it doesn't feel good. That's, to me, more important even than the fact that you don't love the way that it looks, which is like, it makes it hard for me to kiss you. That is very different than put on high heels and totally overhaul your wardrobe because I think it would be fun.
2: Yeah, I think there's a real, you don't need necessarily even need to say to him that you don't like the way that it looks on him. You can just say that you don't like how it feels and maybe he could experiment with beard oil or conditioning it more or trimming it a little. Like there's some there's some, wor- there's some room in here for both of you.
0: Yes. And you can also like bring that to him and say like, I love you. I'm sorry. I know this is relatively low level. I don't want to, you know, be policing your appearance, but it is hard for me to deal with the beard. And then you can also ask like, how much do you love it? Because, you know, maybe he's just like, oh, it's been kind of fun in the way that like getting bangs can be fun but he's not married to it. And he's like, yeah, if it bugs you, I'll shave it. Or he might be like, oh, I really do like it. In which case then you kind of ask, like, can you do the conditioner? Can you do the trimming? Can you maintain it in such a way that it's not totally rough and brambly, which would be super reasonable.
2: Yeah. I kept waiting for, you know, the the part that was like, and he's really in love with his beard, which would make it a more difficult conversation. But if you haven't had that conversation yet, I think you're well within your rights to talk about this and ask, you know, why he's done it, if he's attached to it. And then, yeah, you guys can find, there's some, definitely some common ground you can find here.
0: Yeah. And you, you know, you follow the basic rules of like, you don't, you know, run up to him and start screaming. It looks awful. Shave it off. Uh, If he tells you he really likes it, you know, listen, pay attention to that. Uh, Don't be an asshole. but, But beyond that, you know, you are certainly allowed to have a conversation with your spouse who you live with and see like 24 hours a day. If they're doing something that affects the way that you're intimate with one another, it's, it's really not in the same ballpark as like, I, I don't know, a boyfriend trying to tell you to throw away all of your shoes and, and develop a foot ailment. I couldn't think of a foot ailment in time. But you know I what I mean. I have a feeling
2: that's what happened there. Yeah. Oh, a speaking foot of foot
0: ailments, that's the next one. That's amazing. I, I didn't even do that on purpose, but the next one is about footways here.
2: Those I know. These are just beautiful.
0: Today is just like one long slip and slide.
2: We love this.
0: We love it. Would you read it?
2: Yes. Great. Subject Need my shoes indoors. Dear Prudence. Most of my friends ask people to take their shoes off when entering their house. I understand why. We live in a busy city, and it's easy for shoes to get dirty. However, I have a medical condition that requires me to wear a device in my shoe. I can walk without shoes on, but it's very painful. I hate talking about this condition, and no one knows about it, so pre-COVID, i had just been taking my shoes off with everyone else and suffering for the duration of my visit and the next few days. But I'm tired of this. Is there a polite way to say no thank you when someone asks you to remove their shoes at the door when that eventually starts happening
0: again without explaining why? This one was tricky because I think you have a great reason to keep your shoes on and you should, but I do think it's tricky since it is a cleanliness and hygiene issue, if you're going to tell someone I need to be an exception, it's, it's a little tricky not to address that. And I was wondering. It's tricky
2: to say I need an exception and I'm not telling you why.
0: Right, and of course, like you didn't create that problem. I'm not trying to blame you for that letter writer, but it, it it is a difficult situation. So I was wondering if the letter writer is comfortable disclosing a little bit but not going into any detail, just saying, I have a medical device in my shoe. I can't take it off without a lot of pain. I needed to let you know that um, because I don't like to talk about it and I'd rather let you know in advance so we don't talk about it at the door. Is that all right? Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to do that and to let them know beforehand, I think that would be all you would need to do they would say, thank you for letting me know, of course. And maybe uh, if you wanted to, you could also carry around with you those little like alcoholic wet wipes that are sometimes available at like uh, medical supply websites. And then you could wipe off the bottom of your shoes. But if you even that felt like too much, do you have an idea of what you would do next?
2: Yeah, I think that that was the challenge for me. I think, you know, just... Trying to say without getting into detail, just, you know, I have this medical condition and I need to keep my shoes on. Because, uh, you know, the fact that you're suffering for the duration of your visit and then, like, days afterwards is, like, no, you should definitely be able to wear the device that you need to wear without being in pain. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I, I do think, like, there's, it will be a little harder to not disclose the medical condition or at least mention the words medical condition. Um, but if these are friends of yours who I presume are people that you know and like and, and you know, love and respect you, I would just take that at face value from a friend and I would not need any more information.
0: Yeah. So then I guess the alternative that I would want to propose, if you weren't willing to, I mean, the good news here is it just really does seem like it's going to be a very long time before we are regularly going over to each other's houses the way that we did yes. last year which isn't good news exactly, but it's, it's good news for this particular problem.
2: Good news um, in this specific situation.
0: Yeah, if you didn't, and I can totally understand why somebody might even have like lots of friends that they really care for, but they don't want to talk about a painful medical condition with them. That's totally understandable. I think then maybe the thing that might be better to do is to try to schedule as much as possible get-togethers that are either out in public or at your house where you can control what you're wearing. I think that that would be, my next best workaround. And I, I'll kick this out to the audience, too, because if anyone's listening and has dealt with something like this and didn't want to even say medical condition, what would you suggest? What has worked for you? Let us know, because I'm out of ideas. Same. Yeah. I hope that's helpful. I hope that's enough until we can get more suggestions. I'm so excited. We finally made it. I'm so excited. To the letter I've been thinking about for days, Ugh. and I've been imagining it being read aloud in your voice,
2: Oh. again, boy. for
0: days. Would you
2: Would you please read it just for me? You buttered me up so nicely on that. I was genuinely thinking this whole time, thank God I don't have to read that letter. It's so long. You don't have to.
0: You don't have to, but your no, voice but is I'm so No, but I'm going buttery. to do it
2: for you because you. you have complimented me enough,
0: and You're an that's angel. Thank really you. all it takes. You're my Christine Peransky.
2: Thank you. Subject. My Disney-obsessed mother is trying to hijack my wedding. Dear Prudence, My entire life, my mother has been captivated by Disney. Our house was decorated from floorboard to rafter with Disney merchandise, and our years organized around visits to Disney theme parks. By the time I was in junior high, I was already sick of it. It was embarrassing to have friends over when I knew my mother was likely to answer the door, dressed as Minnie Mouse or Cinderella, or that she would insist that the bathroom be referred to as the pooh hole, like Winnie the Pooh. My father humored her for the most part, the angriest I've ever seen mom is when he claimed he couldn't remember any of the names of the seven dwarves. I realize now that he was trying to provoke her out of his own frustration. As an adult, I've tried to set boundaries when it comes to Disney, and for the most part, it has worked. But my boyfriend and I recently got engaged, and even though a wedding is still at least a year off, the problems are already starting. My mother has always regretted the fact that she was not able to have her own Disney dream wedding, and although I have made it clear that my wedding will not have a Disney theme, I did tell her that I will not fight her on wearing whatever she likes. If she wants to come to her only son's wedding dressed in full Tinkerbell garb, with my father in tow as Peter Pan, then that is between her and God. A few weeks ago, I received an email from a friend warning me that my mother approached them privately to tell them that she wants to surprise us and, quote, make our dreams come true on our big day. Without my knowledge or permission, she then asked for help in spreading the word that guests should attend the wedding dressed in elaborate Disney attire. She even sent the person a list of suggested characters to choose from. When I asked my father if he knew anything about this scheme, he was vague but said, "'Your mother just wants her two favorite Prince Charmings to have the most magical day of their lives.'" Prudy, we haven't even finalized our guest list yet, and I don't want a magical day. I don't want to serve Dole Whip instead of cake or be called Prince Charming or to stare out into the crowd and see a bunch of dwarves and princesses staring back at me while I'm trying to get through my vows.
0: How do I nip this in the bibbity-bobbity bud before it's too late? I'm so proud and grateful that you made it through that last line without breaking.
2: It was really hard. I just want to say, letter writer, first of all, thank you for this beautifully written letter. Um, every turn of phrase was a joy.
0: It was, you know, the the line that really had gotten me was between her and God. Yes, I that's just, perfect. Yeah, just um, a chef's kiss. What are your thoughts
2: here? What do you, just just name a
0: feeling? You know,
2: um, this is to me a little bonkers of your mother to be doing. Um, I think it's honestly we could say quite bonkers um the fact that she you know ha- was not able to have her own Disney dream wedding and has now supplanted this desire into you and your fiance's wedding that is you know over a year away and not even with a finalized guest list she does know that she is allowed to sell- to throw herself whatever kind of Disney themed party she wants like she has to know this she could do that for herself and not pin all of this on you too Every moment, every new turn, I'm
0: just like still shocked by. Yeah. The, um, without saying that all adults who are really, really into Disney are like this, I think there's a real contingent of people who are not satisfied with wrapping their own lives around the Disney behemoth, but are like, the world should be Disneyland. And I think that's bad. I think uh, it's concerning. Yeah, I mean in the way that it would be if it were anything, right? right. Like if your mother were just like incredibly into Fraser or uh, you <laughs> know, the the works of Tom Wolfe and she were trying to turn your wedding into like a Tom Wolfe day and was texting everyone and be like be sure to wear an all white suit like Tom Wolfe did. I'm uh, sorry, you really killed me with the
2: the like imagining a Fraser themed wedding is really just <laughs> KO <yeah>. me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um Yeah. So, so, so part of what's tricky here, you know, it's just a great line of like, as an adult, I've tried to set boundaries when it comes to Disney. And for the most part, it has worked like that's a lot to have to do. And I I feel for you, letter writer. The, The good news is that these boundaries have worked for the most part and that you are willing to make what I would consider a massive concession in saying, mom, it's fine if you and dad come to my wedding dressed as Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. I would yeah, put that think in the same really category. Loving of you. Yeah, I would put that in the same category as like a mother um, of a bride who's wearing a white dress, saying, "I'm going to wear a white dress too." Like it's in that category of disruptive, and and I think this is coming from generally speaking. I I'm pretty laissez faire when it comes to a lot of wedding etiquette, and I tend to be like, "Hey, as long as everyone's having a good time, like don't worry too much about what people are wearing." This does not fall into that category. This is. Too much. So, this is too much. Yeah. What I would say, you know, what interests me, of course, is the ways in which you've all kind of like uh, I don't want to use like missing stare phraseology to talk about a Disney parent, (laughs) but the way that it's like a friend emailed me to tell me what my mom had done, and then I went to my father. Like, it seems like everyone's developed these sort of little like telephone game systems of like, we only go to mom as a last resort. We, we do what we can to accommodate and downplay her behavior where we do a lot of the work because we know she's going to be unreasonable. I get it. I get why people do it. I would encourage you to worry less about how to manage your mom's Disney mania and just like say the thing you need to say, which is like, hey, mom, I heard from a friend that you've been telling people to dress like Disney characters. I'm going to tell them not to do that and that they should disregard any requests to do so. And I want you to stop.
2: Yep. Yeah, I I totally understand. And I think you've done, again, a really remarkable job of working around this Disney obsession from your mother Um, But I think this this is the line that is time to speak with her directly and say, you have done X thing. I do not want that. That is not what I want. And if you can, like, I don't know if there's a level that you would feel, you know, if you continue to try to do this behavior or if you keep trying to scheme something like this to make this Disney, you know, theme happen at our wedding. I don't know if you feel that there's a a line that she could cross that would mean that she would be not invited or not welcome, but like you are definitely within your rights
0: to say this is not happening and i need you to please stop communicating this to our guests right and and then to have the backup if she's like if she keeps going with like no it's going to be so great and again i can understand why this wouldn't necessarily feel like a deal breaker like it, it would feel like one of the most irritating things right before you get to a deal breaker where it's like i'm not going to stop talking to my mother over this but this is the worst thing you can do short of that maybe but you can also just let her know like if you do keep doing this to the guests They're going to know that I, as one of the people getting married, am the one to listen to. So it's not going to work. Like, you know, you can tell her, like, I want you to comply with this, but if you don't, we're not going to do the thing you want. And, And so that at least you don't need, yeah, you don't need her buy in. Like, at worst, all she can do is, like, kind of make a lot of your guests laugh. And then, you know, that whole bit about asking your dad and him being vague, I think you need to consider your father a real weak link here. Like, when it comes to your mother's. Deal, your father is weak. Um, the 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 biggest thing he's ever done is he tried to make her mad by pretending not to know the Seven Dwarves. I would not call that a bold moment of truth telling. I would not. <laughs> you know, like that's that's not a great way to provoke someone when you're frustrated. That's a passive aggressive, weak way to needle someone who you long ago gave up challenging. And that's a shame like that's his life whatever. Exactly. He made his
2: choice, but I I think you have learned now that it is not going to be helpful to be going to your father with any any of this because he's just going to be vague and kind
0: of make excuses for what she wants. Yeah, that's his whole deal. So, you know, when it comes to the wedding, it's great like none of your and again, this is all like so hypothetical, right? Cuz like there's not going to be big in-person weddings for a while. But we're we're treating all of this as hypothetical. The great news is like whoever your vendors are, nobody's gonna be like, well, the mother of the bride called and said we had to serve Dole Whips, so we threw out all the cake. Like if she's not paying for it, which it doesn't sound like, I think you would have mentioned it. Nobody's gonna be taking her credit card on file and saying, like, she has the final word. So, you know, at worst, all she can do is like waste her own time and energy. You can just let her know, like, none of this is gonna happen. This is my wedding. I, I, I'm not going to have a fight about this with you. It's not happening.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, you already gave her that she is welcome to come in full Disney garb.
0: And I think that is honestly more than enough. It should and be. And like, I think kind of sweet, you know, I think like people, you know, I don't think it's going to like ruin your day. I think people are going to be like, wow, that's really something. And it'll give everyone something to kind of talk about. And th- that'll be it.
2: It'll be memorable.
0: Yeah. I think this is a, a sad thing because my guess is part of what she loves or feels that she loves about the Disney experience is some idea of, like, quote-unquote magic, um, and some idea of, like, quote-unquote family. And this is actively disrupting her ability to make connections with other people.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when the father was like, your mother just wants her two favorite Prince Charmings to have their, like, this magical day, like, it's clear that that's kind of where she has put all of her stock of thinking about how
0: love and relationships. Yeah, it's like your mom thinks of you as two Kendalls. That she could dress right. up. And it's just like, Which is, who doesn't want that from their mother, you know? I, yeah, couldn't tell you. All right, let's move on to the next uh, letter. So the subject of this one is summer on hold. Uh, and I just think it's really charming. It, it's also frustrating, and, and, and I'm sorry for the letter writer, but it's, it's charming. Dear Prudence, I'm 15 years old, and my two best friends are both moving away this summer because their parents are in the military. Before coronavirus, we had a bucket list of things we were going to do together before they moved. Throw a birthday party, go to the zoo, hang out at the pool, etc. Now none of that will happen, and it's looking like I might not even get to see them in person again before they leave. Do you have any suggestions for supporting them during their move, and also for making new friends when school starts again? I know this is a small issue compared to everything else going on right now, but I'd appreciate your input. I love a small issue. I do too, and you know, it's it also is you know it's your two best friends. It's a summer when you're 15 years old. There's only a couple of summers as a teenager. It's not a nothing issue. Yeah, absolutely. I will definitely tell you, Christina. I had two responses to this. One was like a realistic, like what could a person do in this situation, and the other one was like what would a person in a in a YA novel do? Which was like, oh, you could like have a remote zoo visit and like make a bunch of pretend animals and like do a fun photo shoot. And then I was like, that sounds maybe exhausting and maybe whimsical. And I can't tell which.
2: Yes, And I think for the letter writer, they're going to have to decide like what their personal threshold of like whimsical, you know, uh, remote hangs slash exhausting remote hangs. Right. Uh, Are there like what, what limit they'll hit of doing that? Because I do think that's, you know, kind of the obvious but easiest solution is, you know, make sure that you guys are chatting and seeing each other and trying to play you know there's the virtual games that everyone can do these days you know there are definitely ways that you can stay in contact um, yeah but it is hard to kind of figure out what the best way to support someone during a move is and you know and, and how to keep safe and distanced
0: yeah I mean in terms of your own personal threshold for like kind of Whimsical fake versions of the things that you wanted to do together. I was gonna say, like, oh, that sounds tiring. And then I was like, I don't know, when I was a teenager, like sometimes my friends and I in the summer would go around and wake each other up as early as possible in the morning and whoever got woken up last had to take everyone else for pancakes. Or like one time my friend David put a like a thousand toothpicks on the lawn and then wound. Dental floss around all of it to make a little labyrinth. And then he came back the next day to undo it all because he was like, I didn't want to make you guys clean up the mess. So, like, we definitely did some like whimsical YA stuff.
2: Yes. I do think teens have a higher threshold and higher energy for things like that. So, yeah.
0: So, if the idea of that sounds really fun, do like a fun fake zoo thing where you're either like making up facts about your pets and pretending that they're various wild animals or like doing design stuff. And it can be very like, I know this is goofy. I know this is silly. That's part of the fun. Only if that sounds fun. If that sounds like exhausting and kind of soul deadening and like it would just highlight the ways in which you can't be together, don't do that. Um, and then in that case, yeah, like you were saying, Christina, do like those Netflix party thing or or simultaneously watching TV or movies together, playing games at the same time, texting, video chatting, if it's safe and possible, potentially like meeting up for a walk where you actually like you know, wear the masks and stay 10 feet apart. Um, But that may not be possible given the circumstances. Right. Yeah, given the circumstance.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, there are, my friends and I have been doing like weird presentations for each other on Zoom. Um, A good friend of mine did a presentation about what kinds of melons mean what, about what kind of person you are. It was fully made up, but it was fun and we all got to laugh. That's delightful. Um, It was quite delightful. So I think there's definitely, you know, there's some space to keep it um, silly and fun. Um, And I would also, you know, when they move, I think there's definitely options for like, you can put together a care package and send them something like that. Yeah,
0: care packages are great.
2: Yeah. Who's never, never mad about getting a care package? And then, you know, the making new friends question is kind of the second half. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel weirdly unqualified to answer as a person who went to through kindergarten, through my senior year of high school with the same group
0: of people. Luckily, I moved in the middle of high school.
2: Oh, see, this is great. Because I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you would have to make friends again. Like, that's a thing that people do is make friends in high school. But I
0: was like, I don't know. It was the same 10 kids. We all yeah. know each other. I mean, the the first thing is, like, I don't know if your school is going to be in person in the fall. So Also that. Th- that's one way in which you, you may still just be mostly relying on your friends from a distance that you already have, in which case... You can kick that can down the road. You know, having moved across the country in high school, one of the things that was really hard was it wasn't even like, oh, there's one person I know here a little bit from junior high. It was, I I knew nothing about anyone. Everyone was the same level of a stranger to me. And uh, what I ended up doing was becoming really, really, really close friends with one person. And then later she stopped talking to me one day and told everyone I was actually a boy in disguise and gross and they should never talk to me again. And that sucked. So I don't recommend that. Spread a a wide net. Don't just pick one friend. Because if your one friend suddenly starts saying mean stuff about you, then you have to eat your lunch in the bathroom for a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, spread a wide net is always good. Finding friend advice. Talking to different groups. Yeah, yeah. Trying to integrate widely
0: yeah, I think that that's the best advice I would have is cast a wide net. If there's people that you've like enjoyed talking to in your classes, you're not like, hang out after school friends, but you're friendly. Try to deepen those relationships. I think that's better than like looking for new friends from scratch. and I, I think also just kind of being upfront about like there are there are ways to sort of charmingly say, like, I want more friends. Do you ever want to hang out? Like I think sometimes people really enjoy being told just like, I really enjoy talking to you. Do you want to be closer friends? Um, or like, do you want to hang out sometime and like making it sort of like, I'm asking you on a friend date, like people often, you know, and that's presuming you already have something of an in-person connection. You're not just walking up to someone you don't know um, where it might feel a little off putting, but people often feel, I think uh, they, they, they like it when you let them know that you're interested in being friendly with them. They're like, oh, that makes me feel good. I, I like yeah, it's that. Flattering. Yeah. And then if all else fails, uh, read, you know, read a lot of novels. If you if you can't make a lot of friends, you know, hang tight until college or graduation or getting a job after graduating, and then just read a lot of novels. That's
2: always classic, classic go to advice. Read a lot of books.
0: There are friends who will not be mean to, or like if they're mean to you, it's in the way that you like. I can control you and close the book. So close it up, close it up. Okay, now I'm thinking too much about high school, and I don't want to anymore. Christina, we have a little time. If you wanted to. We could answer a voicemail. Ooh, I love a voicemail.
1: Let's do it. Hi, Prudence. Um, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I was wondering if you could help me out with a script. So I was uh, raised culturally Jewish. My mom is Jewish. And my dad, uh, even though he's agnostic, comes from a Mormon family. Uh, His parents were pastors, so they're very rooted in that tradition. So this past Christmas I made a point of celebrating Hanukkah with my mom alongside the family's Christmas celebrations. and um, my aunt who is really wonderful and well-meaning um, has been extremely lovely about providing a menorah and connecting with my Judaism she often sends uh, letters and articles to me. She cuts out articles from the newspaper, which is about my interest, which is incredibly sweet. And as an effort to connect with my Jewish identity, uh, she has been articles about Judaism, um, you know, uh, articles about Bernie Sanders, about <laughs> issues happening in Israel and the wider diaspora, all of which are great. But the wide bulk of these uh, tend to be uh, about the Holocaust. And I was wondering if you could provide a script for me to um, address that. If you send a Jewish person a lot of articles about the Holocaust, that is extremely traumatizing. Um, but I also want to address that she is well-intended and um, that she doesn't mean anything but to connect with me in this manner. Um, so I really appreciate your help and thank you for being you. Um, have a great day.
0: Who boy. Oh boy, is correct. Yes, I really, really understand why you do not want your aunt sending you lots of articles about the Holocaust. That seems like an unbelievably reasonable and I hope achievable request.
2: Yeah. I think the good news is that you have worked out a nice beginning of a script for yourself. Yeah, actually, this is a great
0: script. I think some version of... I genuinely love when you send me letters and articles. It means a lot to me that you want to connect about uh, my Jewishness. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are about the Holocaust, and I, I I often find those really difficult and challenging to deal with. I've read a lot about the Holocaust. I don't need a lot of updates. Could you stop? Or, or rather, I, I would love you to stop sending me anything about the Holocaust, and I would prefer that you send me the other stuff. Right? That's, mm-hmm. that's yeah, the thing. I think
2: you can... Easily say that. I think you can say like, I understand that this is an important part of our history, but I do not need multiple articles to be sent to me about this part of our history. And I really love connecting with you on the other parts, the more happy parts of our history.
0: Yep. And, and so I think the the key here is you talk about how you you, you actually find it kind of traumatizing, um, and then you're also really worried because um, you know she's well intended. And I would just say let's balance the trauma for you a little bit higher than the possible fact that she might feel a little hurt, that you don't like this. Do you know what I mean? Like she'll survive. If if she's like, if she feels a little bad realizing she's actually been hurting you, that's good. That's fine. She'll survive that. And, and she should experience that because then that will remind her not to do it again.
2: Mm -hmm. That's how you learn that behavior.
0: You feel a little bad about it. And then you say, I don't want to feel that way again, so I won't do this thing to this person that I care about. Yeah. And you can just stress, like, you know, say what you said to us, which is that I know you mean well and that you didn't intend to make me feel bad by sending me these. But it's just a lot to take in. And um, I I want you to stop. And if she's as well-intended and lovely as you say she is, I think maybe she'll have a little bit of a, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, I feel awful And then she'll just stop. And if she really flips out and and pushes, then you can let go of the idea that she was being well-intended and, like, downgrade her to being a little self-centered or trying to tell you how to experience your own Judaism. And you can be a little bit more forceful with her. But I I don't think you're going to have to get super forceful here.
2: Yeah, I would be surprised if she had a really strong reaction to it. Um, But I think, yeah, I think you really have a great script in in making sure that you are – You know, you're really thankful that she's connecting with you on this level. You just don't like this one part of this connection that she is trying to, you know, make with you.
0: Yeah. It's also tricky, I think. I don't know if this is the only way you two primarily talk, but it's a little tricky when someone's relationship with you is primarily like, I want to send you articles. Right. Yeah. Because it can kind of feel like you want to send me like lectures and lessons and you want me to listen, but you don't really want to have a conversation
2: Yes, it's less about. It's not more. It's more of a just me taking information from you
0: than like a give and take in our relationship. Right, it's like this is more about you than me, and like maybe it's mostly like benign, and I'm fine with it. But it's not necessarily like a sign of a really flourishing relationship. So I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility of like maybe you don't want to get like much much closer with your aunt. Maybe you're like it's fine. I get mail from her sometimes. I scan it, whatever. Um, But maybe there's also an opportunity to say like what if we get on the phone this week and like talk and catch up like i'd really like to actually hear how you're doing and tell you what i'm up to mm-hmm. um that might be another again that wouldn't substitute the no more holocaust articles conversation but that could be no. something that you offer afterwards as a sort of like here's an alternative
2: right yes i think this will go quite well
0: yeah and if it doesn't you know you're just so in the right. And, like, nobody would hear you say, like, I had to tell someone in my life to stop sending me articles about the Holocaust, and then they got really shirty about it. No one's going to be like, wow, why'd you do that?
2: Right, yeah. You are very in the right.
0: Yeah, and it's also, like, it's sweet and well-meaning, and it's also a little condescending or something to be like, oh, anytime I see the word Jewish, I'm going to clip it out and send it to my (laughs) Jewish niece or nephew. Like, uh, that's a... I, yes. You know, I I don't want to put that on the list. of, like, that's terrible. That's awful. What a what a jerk. But like, uh, it's close to something. You can, can tap the brakes, perhaps a little bit, and
2: certainly with anything regarding the Holocaust.
0: Yeah, and it's also, it's hard. Like, I think sometimes with relatives you don't see very often, they're like, I have room for three pieces of information about like my sister's kid, and it's like they're Jewish. They like the Eiffel Tower and they'd enjoyed this book series in junior high and it's like they can never add information to that. They're like these are the I three things I know about any you. Any of that
2: has changed since they were 12, but this yeah. is what
0: I've got and this is what we're going with. It will dictate all of your birthday and holiday presents forever and any conversation that we have and it's kind of like it's one of the problems of having relatives, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I also just love it's such a like a a, a relative thing to do to be like the the article clipper and sharer. Oh, yeah. It's just like such a... My grandmother used to do it. We used to call her peg scissor hands" because she would just cut out anything that she thought we would be interested in and send it to us. And it was just like, yeah, that's just such a specific type of family
0: member. It's really cute. I wonder what, like, those versions of that person in our generation will be, like, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Because, I, you know, we won't necessarily have grown up cl- sending newspaper clippings to each other. So I'm wondering what will be the new version of that. Can't wait to find out. It's going to be like, oh, grandma still sends, like image macros.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's actually probably what it will be. Yeah, just
0: like, can you believe it? I still have to have a phone because my grandma always wants to text me things and everyone's like, you know, talking in future robot talk or
2: whatever. Talking in their eye,
0: seeing glasses or whatever. (laughs) I I was poisoned by Minority Report. My only version of the future is like, we've all got the eye tattoos or what have you. And so say we all. (laughs) And so say we all. Christina, you're great. Danny, you're great. I... I think that I'm nice sometimes. Yeah, I think that we're pals and I love that about us. And I, I love, love that we got that to about answer us. some questions. Yeah, I, I'm really glad and I look forward to later sending you uh, uh, some more links to Shop Your TV's Christine Baransky page because that's the way that I show love.
2: That's a great way to show love. You know I can't navigate that page myself. I would spend too much money. You have to send me curated
0: links. No, the good thing is they're all sold out. So you're not tempted to buy like a $300 blazer. You're just like, ooh, there's a $300 blazer that she wore one time. Now I can know the name of it. Yeah, that is really helpful. (laughs) That's great. I think one of the things that really helped me, I don't remember who taught me this, but at one point somebody was like, you know what's great about shopping online is you can go look at all the stuff you want and go fill a cart and then go get up and like make yourself a cup of tea and then come back and empty the cart. And it's like you got 50% of the fun of buying stuff which is like picking and selecting. And then you're at home so you can talk yourself out of buying it. And that was really great when I learned that.
2: Yeah. I usually give myself like a period of time, like like a 24-hour window. It's like, if you are genuinely still thinking about this, then you are allowed to purchase it. But for the most part, if I walk away, then I stop thinking
0: about it all. Altogether. I wonder too, if it's an especially good trick for uh, people with ADHD where it's like, I know I have a bad memory and poor impulse control. So maybe other people would be like, yeah, of course I remember what was in my cart from yesterday. But me, I'm just like, I need all this stuff right now. And then I go do, Lost I the Lost to the, the sands of time. No object permanence. And I'm just like, oh, that's not anything. No. No. It never was. It never will be. My brain is a pancake that is being fried. Just deceive. Trun- truly. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message, 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. This whole thing where, like, your husband treats you like kind of like a, a refrigerator that's malfunctioning half the time needs to stop. Right. Right? Like, he's genuinely being like, Fridge isn't working. It put artichoke hearts in my food. Yeah. I and mean, it's not that I hate artichoke hearts, it's just I don't particularly like them. She's like, You're talking to the mother of your children who every day makes three meals for your kids and for you every day. The more we talk about it, the matter I'm getting. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudypod.